Are you ready? Yeah. Are you with it? Yeah. Okay, let's go. You know what to do. The whole world's watching and counting on you. And all you people listening out there, everybody, everywhere. Hang on, hang on, hang on! Welcome to Checkered Past, a loving postmodern examination of the Go-Go Check branded comic magazines published by DC Comics between February 1966 and August 1967. I'm Dr. Bob, and each week I'll be your guide on this trippy tour through 535 mid-century masterpieces of graphic noveldom. This week, Justice League of America numbers 46 and 47. Cover dates August and September 1966. Cover prices 12 cents. Cover artists Mike Sikowski and Joe Giella, edited by Julius Schwartz, featuring Crisis Between Earth 1 and Earth 2, and The Bridge Between Earths, written by Gardner Fox, art by Mike Sikowski and Sid Green. Are you ready? Are you with it? Then away we go, go! Welcome to the world of love and laughter, baby. Welcome to the sunshine of a brand new Citizens of Earth-1 and Earth-2 are being inexplicably transported from one parallel world to the other, while their monstrous foes, Blockbuster and Solomon Grundy, are on the rampage, and, far out in space, a being from an antimatter universe is approaching the two planets. Concerned? Don't worry, I'll be right back with Dr. Husband and a very special guest to explain everything. Our guest today probably needs no introduction to our listener, but it's Jennifer DeRoss, author of Forgotten All-Star, a biography of Gardner Fox, also co-founder and contributor to the female-led fandom website Sirens of Sequentials, and fresh off an appearance at San Diego Comic-Con last weekend for the panel past his prologue, fascinating new comic creator bios. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, you, I know, have appeared on other podcasts lately. Yes. So I hope you didn't get your hopes up because <laughs> I, I'm so I'm quite I'm, I'm stunned that she took the time to actually. I know, right? You know, meet, uh, meet with us. A busy time. mother. Yes. Um, you work at a university, right? I actually work at a community college. I did about a year of work at the university level and I just prefer working at the community college level. I feel like I I want to help those students more, you know? Like I, I believe in going where I can help the most. 
I think that's fantastic. Um, I, I don't know if you know that I went to a community college. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, I started at Daytona Beach Community College. I was the first person in my family to go to college. And, um, and that's actually where Bob and I met. Oh. Yes, 29 years ago. About oh. 29 years ago. Yeah. 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 We were impossibly young at the time. <laughs> Very advanced for our age to be in community college. I, I bet you'll never guess in what environment we met in college. Where? Show choir. Oh, beautiful. Right. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I walked into the room and there he was sitting with his Limited Express uh, silk shirt on and his Harlequin socks. And I had never met anyone like him. And I did not greet him with kind words, did I? No, you did not. Yes. You, he asked me if I was in the right class. <laughs> <laughs> and as they say, in, as Max said in Heart to Heart, and when they met, it was, was Moira. <laughs> so, Jennifer, we asked you here today, and we're so grateful for your acquiescence, because you're the only Gardner Fox expert we know. <laughs> There's not a lot of us out there. I, I would say Michael T. Gilbert counts, um, but okay. yeah, there's, there's not a lot of us. So uh, we are looking today at Justice League of America numbers 46 and 47, the fourth annual summer team-up of the Justice League of America and the Justice Society of America. Did you grow up reading comics, Jennifer? I did. My grandma was very into classic DC superheroes and, you know, lots of, of newspaper strips and, and oddities like she exposed me to the Ripley's Believe It or Not comics and things like that. Um, I, I will admit that I was not a huge fan of Justice League or Wonder Woman. She really thought that I would just love Wonder Woman, but it was one of those gendered things where I felt like she was pushing it on me because I was a girl, but I didn't really identify as a girl, but I didn't know how to articulate. And so I just rejected all of that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I've, I've grown to, to love Justice League a lot more as I've gotten older. I think I'm a more patient reader than I was as a child. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, my mother grew up during the golden age of comics and she uh, made me, brought me to tears when she told me of all the things that had been thrown out well, when she grew up. But yes, she also hated Wonder Woman. She loved uh, the male heroes and she loved the newspaper comics. She really loved Mary Worth. For some reason. Oh my God. Which is fantastic nowadays, by the yes, way. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, so, the I don't know if you remember Jennifer or if you're of an age when the summertime team up of Justice League and Justice Society was like the event of the year, not just in comics, but in all of creation. I know of its existence. I'm only 38. <laughs> okay. I'm, She's so I'm young. Baby. She's a baby. Um, <laughs> No, I would, in fact, among my very first superhero comics that I ever bought with my own money was a Justice League, Justice Society team-up. Mm. So I was obsessed from the very beginning. Nice. And then I read this one. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, fair. <laughs> no, I do, there are some things I really like about it, which I'll get to. Um, but written by Gardner Fox, as we mentioned if you're not aware, listener, Gardner Fox was instrumental in creating a lot of DC's second tier heroes in the Golden Age, and we're doing a lot of work on the first tier heroes. Um, he wrote, I think, every issue of All Star Comics. 
That's right. Justice Society, yes. And he was responsible for the creation of the idea of a multiverse, hmm. Earth yeah. 1 and Earth 2. Okay. And um, spends a lot of time in this story focusing on the Justice Society, I think, to their sometimes to their benefit. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Here we go. Yeah. Okay. Hawkman of Earth 1 is chasing a gang of fur hijackers who have stolen a truck full of furs. They disappear into a fog bank, and when they come out the other side, they're gone. They've been replaced by an armored truck, which Hawkman makes quick work of. Meanwhile, in the same location, we're told in a text box, Sandman, who longtime readers will know is from Earth 2, okay. um, is chasing, or was chasing, an armored car, which goes into a fog bank, and when it comes out, it's the fur hijackers. <laughs> What's going on? Hey, you Before know what? Before we move on, I do want to say I absolutely love the Hawkman through here. Like, you got that great Hawkman punch, yes, you know? Yes. And Sikowski gets a bad name sometimes, but I think he does a great job on the previous page with the, the flapping wings. Like, I, I think uh -huh. there's some very nice artwork at the, the start of this. Yeah, I will say I am not the biggest fan of Sikowski, but I, I liked this art a lot. More than I have liked him in the past. Agreed. Okay, cool. Also, this is the first Silver Age appearance of the Sandman. Is it? Yes. Mm -hmm. Who I was not aware until I read your book. I didn't know that Gardner Fox created him. <laughs> it, slightly up for debate there, but I think oh. that there is more than enough evidence to say that he had a hand in it. Okay. Um, and I was wondering if that was any influence on why they brought him back in his original three-piece suit costume rather than his more superheroic costume that he had last appeared in? Quite possibly. I, you notice, too, in this issue that there's so much of a focus on his gadgets. Um, uh -huh. I think that they were really trying to pull on that popularity of Batman here. Yes, exactly. Because to my knowledge, Sandman never had any of this well, he always had the gun, like the. Right, but the, it was just like a sleeping gas, right? Not yeah, or variations of of what sand can do. Um, it's definitely some new stuff in this one, and I'm not a huge fan of the the new additions personally. Oh. Well, yeah, it is very gimmicky. Um, after Sandman makes quick work of the, uh, what were they? Armored uh, car thieves. No, he actually, he actually got the fur, the fur trailer. Oh, the fur the trailers. First uh, I'm already confused. <laughs> now we travel to what is finally stated as Earth 2, and Dr. Midnight appears. I have a soft spot for Dr. Midnight because he was in the, the crossover story that was my very first superhero story. Oh. Now... What I appreciate is that Gardner Fox has sort of gone out of his way to give these Justice Society members more uniqueness than they probably ever had. How so? Well, like with the gimmicks with Sandman, Dr. Midnight also has a bag full of gimmicks mm -hmm. and a lot of medical puns. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I uh, diagnosed yeah. this case as a bank robbery. Now uh, I'm here yeah. to operate. Um, this dialogue would not be out of place in, what's that Batman movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger? 
Uh, I put the freeze on you. Yes. Uh, what's that? And was Poison Ivy in that movie too? Um, it was. It, I, 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 interesting version of all those characters. I must <laughs> say. <laughs> um, Doctor Midnight announces that he has come out of retirement with a lot of new crime-fighting techniques. Rob, for your information, Doctor yeah. Midnight is blind. I did not. Well, know not blind. He, no. he he's mostly blind, um, and he has perfect vision at night. Yes. Oh. So he and he was a medical doctor. Okay. Well, he still is a medical doctor. So that's a nice touch that he's all of a sudden talking like a doctor. Okay. Which I don't think happened before or since. But it's a nice touch here. Okay. Um, and usually he just has blackout bombs. He would. Make a room dark so he could see and the criminals couldn't. Okay, and then he would, like, do things like... Punch. Disable them, punch them, yes. punch, kick, and such. Maybe, like, they have a scalpel or something. He, he would... uses a multi-pronged gun here. Yes, his cryo-tuber. Like so his gun can control people's nervous systems, which would be awesome. Also, it can freeze people. And there's not a blackout bomb in sight. Right. Oh, you're not a fan of that. <laughs> well, he says, you know, he he says in the middle of the, the page five, he says, "Now I don't have to rely so much on my old-fashioned blackout bomb." Right, right, right. So he pulls See, out I his, like yeah. the old-fashioned, is I think what it comes down to. I like the, you know, he had the the owl and and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I, I thought that was cuter. This feels like another generic Batman kind of. Uh, eh. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I think certainly probably James Bond had a lot to do with all this gimmicky. Oh, good call. Yeah. yeah. Um, so suddenly, Dr. Midnight is in the process of abducting the crooks, and he suddenly is spinning wildly, and suddenly hands reach out to grab him. It's the Flash. Right. From Earth One. Who has met Dr. Midnight before? So... Dr. Midnight realizes he's somehow been transported to Earth-1. Meanwhile, Batman, Batman wrapping up a case. Uh, suddenly he gets punched in the face by not a criminal. But Wildcat. It's Wildcat from Earth-2. Now, I'm going to pause here for a second. Jennifer, do you want to add anything to this? Or are you good with where we are? I think we're good. Okay. Oh, I, I do want to... Um... Step in when we get to Selma Grundy. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, Wildcat and Batman may have met before. I can't remember the chronology of Brave and Bold comics. Um, but they recognize each other. I'm getting the idea that something's wrong, Rob. Why? Well... Oh, oh you're because these people are popping yes. in and out of, of different Earths and such. Yeah. And the next page confirms that, in fact, the entire globe, both Earth 1 and Earth 2, are affected. People yeah. are popping in and out, arriving on different Earths. On Earth 2, Black Canary is chasing a burglar when she's suddenly in a swamp and she's rescued by Earth 1's Green Lantern. I have a problem with the golfer in shorts. Why? Did they really golf in shorts back in the 60s? Sure, I don't know. I could swear they wore pants. And look, he's wearing like this sort of bulky kind of um, thing with a cap and such. And he he's, he just appears in a boxing ring. I think I just think the costume's not appropriate. Maybe he's a college lad. <laughs> you know, they dress all crazy. <laughs> that is true. We don't know he's professional. <laughs> right. Um, meanwhile, 
out in space. (laughs) (laughs) The specter is enlarging himself toward the asteroid belt, like you do. Well, like he does, anyways. Like he does, yes. Um, Are you... We have covered the specter, Rob, so you know who the oh, specter I is. Oh, I like him a lot. Of course, I was introduced to the specter in the 80s. Yes. Um, no, that's not true. I'm sorry. In the 90s. With the... Uh, uh, when, when you and I met... Tom Mandrake, John... Uh... Oh my gosh, what's his name? But, 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 but Someone's so... screaming at the radio right now. Right. Um, so I'm just... just uh... So Ostrander, John Ostrander. John, John Ostrander? Yes. Okay, so, but I remember when, when we first started dating, I was like, you know, I want to know what you're reading. So you introduced me. Of course, I love Green Lantern, so you caught, you caught me sort of caught up on Green Lantern, and I dove into that, and then Spectre, and um, Animal Man, and all sorts of comics at that time. So Spectre has been alerted that some asteroids are about to move out of their orbit and fall toward Earth. By so, Starman. By Starman. And Starman wasn't available. No, he's he was, on an urgent case. He was—he had been previously detained. Well, he's off on another urgent case. I don't know what could be more urgent than asteroids crashing into the Earth, but <laughs> you do you, Starman. Um, suddenly, Spectre feels a strange tugging on his body, and he dissipates into somewhere else. Meanwhile... Here we go. Here comes a fellow in a green and yellow striped globule... Of mystic energies, the marshland monster known as Solomon Grundy feels an alien power struggling, surging into his body. Now, I have a question about this, and I know Jennifer wants to talk about this as well. Oh, I don't know about the moment about the same thing. I don't understand how Solomon Grundy can be encapsulated in a, in a prison, if you will, this, this globe of mystic energies that includes Green Lantern's energy. Okay, so this does tie in. So this is actually the first appearance of Solomon Grundy after uh, Gardner Fox's Alley Award-winning best novel in uh, 1965, Solomon Grundy Goes on a Rampage from Showcase 55. In that, um, basically he frees out of uh, Green Lantern's bubble, wrecks havoc, and between Green Lantern and Dr. Fate, they kind of fuse their their energies together and create this, this dual thing and then shoot him into space because they don't know what else to do with him, basically. And, and, and the energy does not dissipate. I mean, the energy is sustaining and they're able to keep him in this. And, and isn't Solomon Grundy also a plant? Yes. Because yeah. they did mention his blood in here. Yeah, oh. like of the swamp. Um, and yeah, I think you might be confused. This is the Earth 2 Green Lantern okay. that we're talking about, which is <laughs> which is more magic right. power yeah. than okay. Hal Jordan. Okay. Uh, hey, I'm just going to, I'm writing in my, on my piece of my notes here. Yes. Just go with it. Just go with it and yeah. pr- pretend like you don't know the Green Lantern is negatively impacted by wood. <laughs> <laughs> um. Wait, so say more about that novel. Um, so yeah, he, he won the, the Alley Award and it, this is one of those things where uh, Gardner Fox says that Selman Grundy is one of his favorite villains. And in that story, he really tries to make Selman Grundy like the main character. He was inspired by Selman Grundy in that story. And uh, he really, like the way in which we start with the Selman Grundy tale and then we we end on Solomon Grundy, like it's very much his story. And so in this case, like 
for me, I pay more attention to what's going on with Solomon Grundy. And you do see an actual narrative where like at the end, he willfully will go back into like, you know, an, a, essentially imprisonment. And so it's, it's this nice little mini arc that the Gardner Fox sneaks in. Hmm. Um, yes, I wasn't, I mean, I knew Solomon Grundy from the Super Friends cartoon. Uh, yes. Um, Which is the basis of all my comics knowledge yes. before this, before this deep dive that we've been going into uh, for the last t- three years. But I also liked what was done with him in the Starman series in the 90s, mm. how he mm. kind of became so multifaceted there. Here comes some dog nails on the floor. Hi, Junebug. Part two. The heroes who now have been trapped or remained on Earth-1. Yes. Including Flash, Dr. Midnight, Hawkman, Green Lantern. Sorry. And Black Canary. Uh, race to Justice League headquarters to compare notes. Green Lantern has already tried to return Black Canary to Earth-2 with no success. Flash has tried to return Dr. Midnight to Earth-2 with no success. The dog is drinking out of my water glass, which was set upon the floor. Oops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't bother me so much, except she eats her own poop. <laughs> yeah, you won't be returning to that glass. No. So, for a while, we're stuck on Earth-1. Let's see what we can... What trouble we can get up to. Right. Just then, a police alert. Solomon Grundy is on a rampage. Um, you know they say... You know, you can lift up that glass of water. She doesn't, you don't have to let her just go to town on... <laughs> they say he was born on a Monday. Who? Yeah, Who? Yeah. Solomon Grundy. Oh, really? Yes. Um, and then something else happened on every other day of the week. I haven't memorized the poem. It is a cute little poem, though. I like it a lot. Um, I, I do genuinely, I, I think it was the Justice League cartoon that made me really, like, kind of fall for him. Like, I have a soft spot for the guy now. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you ever see the uh, the live-action superhero roast from the 70s? No. That would have been oh way before your time. It was two episodes. It was Adam West and Burt Ward were Batman and Robin, but then they had uh, like Shazam and Green Lantern and Flash and Hawkman, Black Canary, Black Canary Huntress, and someone else. Anyway, then a bunch of supervillains. So I think Solomon Grundy was played by Ted Cassidy, who was Lurch on the Munsters. <laughs> That's so perfect. <laughs> worth finding on YouTube. Also, if you're gonna if you're gonna do a search for that, make sure you look for the um. It, it's a it's a roast. Um, the, the superhero roast. Superhero the same roast. series. It's the same series. Oh my god, it's the worst. But by worst, I mean the best. Yes. I will definitely uh, look that up. <laughs> so uh, Solomon Grundy, Rob, you may not know, has an intense hatred for the Earth Two Green Lantern. Why is that? Because he imprisoned him, or because he imprisoned be- him, and they were um, like twice. Enemies. <laughs> oh, okay, twice. Yeah. Um, so he is searching for Green Lantern in order to kill him. Meanwhile, at the Gotham City Alfred Memorial Foundation, you recall at this time that Alfred Pennyworth is dead. So we think. Okay. Um, the blockbuster whom we encountered. Not too long ago. Not too long ago right. in Detective Comics. The blockbuster is breaking loose, disappearing before the attendant's eyes. Of course, he's going straight to Earth, too. Now, wasn't the blockbuster, wasn't his creation an accident? Yes. He had a brother. He had a brother. He 
trusts his brother and he trusts Bruce Wayne. Yes. Which will come up because later. Because Bruce uh, rescued him from quicksand. So Solomon Grundy is trapped on Earth 1, Blockbuster is trapped on Earth 2, and I bet he's going to cause trouble. Now, is that not enough story for you? Because let's add another subplot. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Jennifer, I have to tell you that um, I read these comics today, and I we had gone out and worked in the yard, and I don't know why, but it, it took me two and a half hours to get through this. I kept on falling asleep while I was reading it. I was so, oh. so upset. Also, as we mentioned, he hates Earth 2. Oh, stop! <laughs> I'm learning to appreciate it. So let's head to Ivy Town. Speaking of academia... Professor Ray Palmer, a.k.a. The Atom, is in his lab with his Italian exchange scientist assistant, Enriqueta Negrini. Interesting side note. Negrini happens to be Gardner Fox's wife's maiden name. What? Oh, that's right. Yes. <laughs> so uh, I would say that Gardner Fox was kind of... Um, I, I think you can understand their relationship in terms of, of the stereotypes around new money and old money. So Gardner Fox's father, Leon Fox, was the um, man responsible for essentially electrifying Long Island. So they they were, you know, comfortably wealthy, whereas the Negrinis were high class Italian society conscious, sort of like she was always the one trying to force him to go to parties, which he hated. Wow. <laughs> like she, so I, I think it's rather interesting, especially to put that that first name on that. <laughs> like, some, some little sneaky commentary in there. <laughs> okay. Um, yes, I. So I had no idea until I read your book that he that Gardner Fox had been a practicing attorney, mm -hmm. sort of, at the time that he was starting out as a writer. He sort of did both things, mm -hmm. but he wasn't a good attorney. They say, because huh. he was too kind-hearted. Oh. I mean, it makes sense if you, I mean, how often he tries really hard to have like, you know, a positive, nonviolent, like, we're all just like here to support each other kind of endings. Like, it, I can imagine him having a hard time right. being a cutthroat lawyer, you know? Mm -hmm. um, oh, we forgot to mention that Adam has received the Justice League uh, alert, but his powers are not working. Right. His powers, right. which are controlled by mechanisms in his Palms. And I'm assuming because he never actually discusses with Enriqueta about um, the difficulties having shrinking, that she doesn't know that oh, he's no. the Adam. Okay. Um, so we're back now. The Justice League and guests have tracked down Solomon Grundy. Solomon Grundy realizes that the Green Lantern is not his Green Lantern, but he is still green. So he hates he him and he's going to kill him. <laughs> They fight, 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 fight. Here comes Black Canary with a little new gimmick of her own. Uh, she's got some kind of powder pellet, a paralysis powder from her amulet around her neck. Right. Which she blows in his face and he blows it right back at her. Now, is this the Black Canary who can, can she or can she not scream out sound waves? Okay, here we go. What? Is that an invention of... No. Okay. So, she lived on Earth too. Okay. In a... Later, JLA, JSE team up. Okay. Her husband is killed. Spoiler alert. So she decides to move to Earth-1. Okay. And at some point in that transfer, she gains the power of screaming. So she doesn't have the power right Not now. Not now, no. Okay. 
And I, I mean, she's say, still an awesome judo, and yes. and like I love her relationship with Wildcat and whatnot. Like she's still an awesome hero, but yeah. she not in this issue though. Uh, he strikes out several times. Yeah, unfortunately. Well, we had a female scientist. We can't give females too much agency in 1966. <laughs> <laughs> She's sports edited. I mean. <laughs> Um, here comes Dr. Husband's favorite trick, Flash spinning his arms oh. wide in a circle to create a windstorm. Yeah. I don't know. It always works. It seems to work, yes. He rescues Black Canary, and uh, somehow Solomon Grundy waves his hands because and makes Flash not only stop, but run backward. He's also gained some sort of power. He gained power from the Dr. Fate Green Lantern bubble. Yes, yes. So he somehow doesn't quite understand how he's doing it, but he's been he's using this power to create cause something. Right. So Flash runs backwards around the globe <laughs> immediately, and and his trick is I'm going to end up in the same spot that I was by running backwards and smash into Solomon Grundy. How can he see though? How do we? Does he know he's going to end up in the exact same spot? I have no idea. Uh, Doctor Midnight fires a kind of. Red energy. Uh, well, it's a laser. He calls thing. it a laser, and yet the laser, like, it seems to have some sort of cohesive form. Like, Solomon Grundy tosses the laser off, and then and then Green Lantern says, take cover, that stuff could, 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 couldn't harm him, but it could kill us. What? It's not, it's not a, it's not a, it's, it's not an entity. It's not, it's not, it's not prehensile. It's, it's, it's just concentrated light energy. Maybe it's not, though. Maybe it's, like, irradiated blood that he's put into this gun. And it did just hit a Salman Grundy that could be, you know, discharging who knows what. Yes. Again, just go with it. (laughs) Hawkman swoops in. I love this. This panel is fantastic. It's wonderful. Hawkman swoops in to, as my mother would say, snatch Salman Grundy bald head. (laughs) He grabs him by the top of his head and yanks him up into the sky. Everyone else <laughs> hops onto a magic carpet created by Green Lantern, and they go up into the sky and just start punching. <laughs> Poor Solomon Grundy. Well, we have to imagine that he's invulnerable to some extent. You think? Uh, so they just punch him till he passes out. What's that? What's that, Jennifer? Oh, I was just, I mean, he can obviously take a lot of hits. So. Yeah, he sure can, yeah. Um, once he's unconscious, Green Lantern uh, does some strip mining, <laughs> opens up the side of the mountain, <laughs> and drops Solomon Grundy down inside the mountain and just closes it back up. Now, would Solomon Grundy just be sort of imprisoned in there, uh, theoretically? Just, you know, I mean, he's he is... Uh, uh, what is he, a plant man? Yes. Plant-based man? Yes. So he probably wouldn't die. but he. Would... Well, I wonder, because he probably does rely on photosynthesis to some extent. Hmm. That's a good point. But we didn't worry about things like that in those days. I mean, he was trapped in a bubble in space. I, I was, but, the, I mean, he would still get the, the energy from the sun doing that. Really? But he's, he's emerged from underneath. I, I imagine he could probably, like... I don't know, mushroom or something. <laughs> There's got to be other options because I, I know he's been buried before and it didn't kill him. So, mm-hmm. 
Um, I did find it interesting that they refer to him as the macabre man thing, mm-hmm. which was actually. Did Gardner Fox have anything to do with man thing in the seventies? No, he didn't. Um, but the the macabre part is definitely something. At some point, I'd like to do a, a deeper dive into to all of that and really compare the way in which he explores monstrosity. Um, mm-hmm. Also, Gardner Fox sneaks Frankenstein's monster into a few different things, and similar treatments are given. So I, I wonder if there's something more that he's trying to say that I just haven't figured out yet. Hmm. Well, and you wrote that he did have a fascination with Lovecraft and that's mm-hmm. actually how how Dr. Fate came around to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And throughout his, his work. In fact, that's one of the things that I've been talking about on the interwebs lately is the what is his name, Shuma Garoth or something like that, um, is there's lots of rumors that he may be showing up in, in Doctor Strange or whatnot. And um, I'm not going to like have an opinion on that. Like I, I try to avoid the rumor mills, but I do think that it's interesting that that's something that, you know, we, we give credit to Steve Englehart and Frank Berner, but Gardner Fox doesn't get any credit, even though he's the one who laid the groundwork for all of that in Marvel premiere number five, because he went from Dr. Fate to Dr. Strange and brought that Lovecraft right with him. Yeah, nice. Mm-hmm. All right, are you ready for another subplot? <laughs> we can certainly try. <laughs> because you remember the specter had been drawn into some mysterious place from space and now he encounters a an intelligent being or some manifestation of unguessable natural forces giving off an odd glow that's even weakening the specter he can immediately sense with his spectral powers that it is from an antimatter universe and mm-hmm. with some real scientific information mm-hmm. if it comes in contact with solid matter of specter's universe Instant destruction of all creation. So I have a scientific question. Yes. If antimatter comes into contact with a light ray, a ray of light, yes, is that an inst- a possibility for um, an antimatter-matter reaction, or does it have to be some form of solid matter? light is energy. Um, I'll have to do some Google research and get back to you. <laughs> no, I think if it's positive energy, posit- because photons are positive. Yeah, it's certainly wavelengths and whatnot. That's a matter in motion. Yeah. Would you like to run an experiment? Find out? How? Yeah, get back to us that. You'll have to get some antimatter. <laughs> uh, luckily, since the specter is a spirit, he's not composed of positive matter. He can punch to his heart's content, which he does. I always find it hilarious when he, he just starts punching. Like, I'm like, you're Spectre. You have the huge, like, he's basically a god. And yes. he's going to punch people. All right. <laughs> and I love what happens next. Yes. So the antimatter creature starts punching back with mysterious effects. First, <laughs> the Spectre's arm shrinks to a third of its former size. So his right arm is a third its size, has shrunk by a third. His left arm is in perfect proportion to his body. 
Then his head starts to swell. <laughs> <laughs> then he uh, is bopped on the top of his head and his legs are driven up into his body. Now that's a Mike Sikowski heroic figure that I'm used to. Short squat husky looking gentleman. He looks like one of those characters that you'd put on your dashboard with a bobblehead. Oh yeah. Or he looks like a Lego specter yeah. with one freaky long arm. <laughs> so the antimatter man continues his inexorable march toward Earth 1 and Earth 2, which Spectre now sees are on a collision course. Now, I have a question about this. Is it a bad thing that they're on a collision course? Because well, it's not in... It's in a... Uh, 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 right, because I believe... What is this in? It's not in... The uh, same vibrational space. Space. Thank you, thank you. Which Gardner Fox established, right? That they were in a different... They coexisted in the same space, just at different vibrational rates. He, he opens yes. it in the eerie realm between Earths, but between space and non-space. But there's no. But they're in the same space. I don't know. I don't either. Luckily, and it's not the, the first time he's had that come up either, where Earths were going to collide, and it's always an issue. So I don't know if, like the the fact that they're vibrationally different matters in that case, if two things are colliding, you know? Right. And I was wondering if they would, you know, if they did collide, would they merge? Would you have a merging of Earth 1 and Earth 2? Or would they destroy each other? I mean, would it be like two solid masses actually colliding? We've had a merging of Earths 1 through 5, and it didn't work out in the end. Mm. (laughs) Um... Luckily, Spectre is there to grow to giant size and place his body between the two Earths to prevent and them. And we get that nice uh, legendary Atlas reference because yes. we know Gardner Fox loves his mythology. Yes. At this critical moment, let's ignore that story and go back to the Justice Society headquarters <laughs> on Earth 2. I know. Um, <laughs> present are Batman, Dr. Fate, Sandman, and Wildcat. Dr. Fate discovers he cannot return Batman to Earth-1. But since you're here, Batman, you might as well help us capture this maniac that's on a rampage. It's Blockbuster. Right. Um, Batman and the Justice... Justice... I can't speak. Justice Society race to the scene where Blockbuster is ripping up the city. Is Wildcat on a moped? A Vespa? (laughs) On page 19? Yeah, it could be a Vespa, I guess. It's not a very effective way to get around. Well, it's faster than walking. That's <laughs> true. Um, Wildcat goes in for a punch. Batman remembers that Blockbuster uh, trusts Bruce Wayne. Right. So he, Batman takes off his mask but is knocked over because Blockbuster has just punched Wildcat and knocks Batman unconscious. Like a bowls him into it. Yes. Sandman comes in to create some unbreakable glass with his special sand and his sand gun. Hmm. Yeah, I do have some problems with the sand gun. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's not unbreakable glass after all because Blockbuster is super strong. And also, we learn had... Absorbed some powers from, from the whatever the Alfred, machine. Yes. Alfred, uh, what's that called? Alfred Foundation. Memorial Foundation. Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Dr. Fate discovers that Blockbuster has the power to convert his magic energies into some kind of power that he himself can utilize to attack Dr. Fate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many twists in this that I'm like, uh, I'm going to ignore that one. <laughs> <laughs> so Bruce Wayne regains his senses and gets in Blockbuster's face and Blockbuster, me love him. <laughs> <laughs> he squeezes Bruce Wayne in a manly embrace. I think those panels are so cute, though. Bruce with his little hand, like, hi. Oh, my God. He looks so vulnerable in 21 in the top oh. right panel. With it just, you know, his head down there between his shoulders. He looks so vulnerable. Um, now, this is a point in time. This is only the fourth team up of the Justice Society. It was not until the following year that the Wonder Woman of Earth 2 would appear, okay. thus establishing that the heroes who had been continually published since the 40s had counterparts on Earth 2. Okay. So when Bruce Wayne reveals his identity to the Justice Society, I guess we hadn't thought far enough ahead that there was also a Batman on Earth 2. Oh. Oh. Oh, right, right. Because Earth 2 has a Wonder Woman, a Superman, a Batman, a Green Lantern, and a Flash. Yes. Yeah. But I don't think that had been written yet. Tomorrow. It doesn't matter, apparently. So. Right. Um, anyway, what indeed can Batman and the Justice Society members do with Blockbuster and prevent another rampage? We gotta, you... And can the heroes on Earth 1 be sure that Solomon Grundy is trapped forever in his mountain prison. Right, and don't forget that, that uh, Ray Palmer is unable still to do his size and weight control device. Right, and don't forget Anti-Matter Man, who is approaching Earth as he strides across the eerie realm between worlds. Oh, Butler's making his presence known. Um, so Spectre is trapped, bracing himself between Earths 1 and 2, out on the very rim of existence. Enriqueta is excited that she's finally succeeding in whatever it is she's trying to do, which we will find out in the next issue. Are you ready? I can't wait. I'm excited. Um, the next issue, number 47, we have a nice uh, cover mm -hmm. of Batman punching the antimatter man. Honestly, Batman would be the last one I'd send in on this mission. <laughs> but... He's popular on the television, and that sells comics. Oh, okay. And then we have my very favorite cover trope of all time, floating heads. You like this a lot, don't you? I do. Yeah. Why? I don't know. It just, like, you immediately know who you're going to read about. Uh, when I was first starting reading comics, or reading superhero comics, I was like, oh my gosh, look at all these superheroes I've never heard of. I'm <sighs> going to get to read about them right now. That's nice. I like that. Yeah, it's kind of its own little hype machine. Yeah. All right. The Bridge Between Earths, Justice League of America number 47. For you Johnny-come-latelys who missed the first half, I don't need to repeat it because we've just been talking about it for a half hour. Right. In... A laboratory at Ivy University, Enriqueta Negrini checks her space warping machine. Like, no problems She's can come from this whatsoever, right? Finally <laughs> getting somewhere, shrinking the space between planets. The big reveal, that's what's causing the problem. 
right. to the reader. Like, oh, that's the The problem. idea being that you won't need a spaceship to travel to other planets. You just step from one you to another. You just step from one planet to another. Well, I guess the idea is sound, because after all, that's what warp drive does. Mm-hmm. But you still need a ship. You can't just step from Earth to Mars. Well, doesn't warp drive essentially... It doesn't fold space. Warp drive just moves you through space no, at a faster rate, I doesn't it? I think... Are you ready to be nerded out? Absolutely. I believe warp drive creates a bubble around the ship which does draw the space toward the ship, the space in between the ship and the next planet, so that they can get there much faster than they would by just traveling under impulse power, for example. But in, in warp drive, even with the bubble around the ship, the, the ship is actually moving at a speed. The right? ship's not moving. Space is moving. Are you sure? I would not stake my life on it. Jennifer? <laughs> I mean, it, it makes sense because that removes the collision fears. Yes. Now, in Dune, which I just read... <laughs> Soon to be a major motion picture. Another one. Um, I, 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 in Dune, um, they use the, uh, the travelers. Is that what they're called? I don't know. They fold space. They yes. basically just use, um, these, these highly mutated, uh, beings that have been mutated from, from generations of using the spice to take, to, to create a bridge in between. And, and what happens is basically... They just sort of fold themselves. They, they, they take a piece, a piece of paper. Imagine that you have a dot on one side and a dot on the other, and you just fold the paper between the two, and that's how the, 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 the ships travel. Yeah. Um, I think that's essentially what warp drive does. Hmm. Well, I think warp drive is different, though, because like, it, uh, it's also something that if you jump into warp drive, like people don't know exactly where you end up, so that implies less of a, a direct trajectory oh. in motion, right? Yeah, I think she's... So I, the reason I'm, I'm bringing this up is because I think that Enriqueta uh, Negrini is actually proposing folding space. Okay. Well, whatever she's trying to do, she can just let it run while she goes and have a sandwich. And comes <laughs> well, she's a female scientist, and as we know, um, the female scientist restroom is probably another building. Yes. From... From that movie that we saw. Also, she's Italian, so, you know, she likes to eat. Yes, and probably she won't have a smoke or two. Oh, and it's the 60s, yes. It's the 60s, yeah. Well, they can smoke right there. Oh, well, who am I saying? Of course she's not going to go outside and smoke. She's going to smoke right in her laboratory. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, Adam discovers that his palms are burning hot, as if his size and weight controls were getting an overload of power. He thinks it might be Enriqueta's machine. So he just walks over and <laughs> turns off the breaker. Yep. Sorry. What about her research? What about her experiment? Well, if she wanted to monitor her experiment, she shouldn't have gone to have a sandwich. <laughs> That's my feeling on it. Um, suddenly, his powers work again. So he shrinks, and off he goes. Well, he doesn't go anywhere, because we go back to Earth 2 now. Uh, they're still babysitting Blockbuster. Suddenly, Blockbuster disappears, and in his place appears Solomon Grundy. They had just stopped fighting. Just. Yes. Yeah. And all of a sudden, boom, there's Solomon Grundy. Solomon Grundy lashes out. Uh, there's no Green Lantern present, but that's not going to stop him. He's going to kill <laughs> everybody in the room. Mm. Um, luckily, Sandman is there to create perfectly molded <laughs> cement blocks with his sand gun. Now, the only thing that Sandman has effectively done in this two-issue sprint yeah. 
has Creed glass handcuffs cuffs around the um, the robbers or whatever they were early. Yeah. That's it. Everything else has failed. It's sad because he has a good character, but he's just so out of place in this. Yeah. If he would just use his sleeping gas. Yeah, he's out right? That would be perfect. That would take care of both problems immediately. <laughs> um, Dr. Fate is uh, aware now that his magic globe in Justice Society headquarters is blinking or whatever it does, alerting him to a worldwide danger. So he changes... <laughs> Solomon Grundy deflects those cement blocks that are coming towards him and, and deflects them right back to the the uh, superhero uh, guys are trying to take him down. So Dr. Fate uses the classic Lovecraftian technique of turning <laughs> the cement blocks into custard pies. <laughs> <laughs> and hilarity ensues. And Solomon Grundy counters that with a knockout punch. Yep. Yeah. Back on Earth 1, the ground is shaking in the mountain where Solomon Grundy was imprisoned right because and it's not Solomon Grundy anymore it's blockbuster and he breaks out um and the justice league has no idea who he is cuz i guess he's only fought batman that one time so far and look how he takes hawkman and uh who is that is that doctor doctor midnight midnight just like they're dolls yep and uses them as weapons against the other people against flash and black canary just tosses them around Black Canary's got another gimmick in her necklace, which is some kind of freezing solution, which she tosses at Blockbuster, but he's got some kind of heat vision that comes out and dissipates the liquid that she throws. So she's going to do a judo throw. Which, if, if I, of course, I've never practiced martial arts, but I seem to remember that judo is how you use your opponent's weight and positions against them, right? Exactly. Yeah. Very popular with, with feminism at the time. Mm -hmm. Lots of women were learning judo. Um, it was actually a big part of the suffragette movement as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Let me um, mansplain to Black Canary how it <laughs> What she wants to do is wait for him to rush her, and then she uh, goes down at her back uses and his kicks momentum and his yeah, position. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, actually, I would tend to believe that what she's trying to do would work, except he's got those augmented powers. Yes. All right. So in come the male heroes with their gadgets and gizmos, only to discover that nothing was going to work against him. He turns it all around on a gigantic fireworks blast against them. Which is now, another nice little panel. I do like that one. It's very... Very eighties. <laughs> yes, and and um and then what we learn is that uh, Doctor Doctor Fate has gone back Fate. to his magic globe. So he turned the turned the bricks into custard pies and just took off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he had to, but he he's like, you guys are fine. You'll be fine. Bye. Sorry about the custard. Um, he discovers that the Spectre is trapped between Earth One and Earth Two and was able to contact Dr. Fate. And he also notices that the antimatter man is striding across the Spectre's body toward... Well, on Earth. On, on Earth. Earth. Yes. So Dr. Fate summons... Oh, toward, uh, toward Earth 2. Right, right, right. Dr. Fate summons his fellow heroes from Earths 1 and 2 and takes them out into space. So now... I guess because the machine is off, 
he's able to do this. Yes. Yes. I would assume. Um, I like that we get an ex- explanation about what Dr. Fate has to do to prevent the heroes from suffocating to death in space. Mm-hmm. He's got to coat them with magic so they can touch the antimatter man. He's got to place an atmosphere on the battleground so they can breathe in space. Also, he's got to create the battleground for them to stand on. So was that Gardner Fox's decision to explain that? I would assume so. Okay, because we didn't get that explanation a long time ago when we took that um, international troop of police officers and, and put them well, on the planet. That wasn't Gardner Fox, Venus. though. Right. We read an, an ish, one of our first episodes, I believe, was an issue of Action Comics where um, there was a train full of international policemen costumed appropriately going for to, their countries, yes. to the International Policemen's Convention, and Superman scooped up the train car that they were in and deposited it on the surface of the planet Venus. And they all lived. That we know. <laughs> no, Gardner Fox would have explained how they could survive on the surface of Venus. Oh, absolutely. Venus. And he would have taken a lot of time to explain the, the atmosphere of, of Venus and, and what it looked like and, and compared it to other things, too, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the heroes are baffled to find themselves in space. Uh, Green Lantern gives uh, a little one-panel explanation that he's going to do something to prevent them from going on Solomon Grundy and Blockbuster from going on any destructive rampages on Earth while they're in space. We don't know what it is yet. So here we come to this panel. Mike Sikowski must have dropped some acid right before drawing this. (laughs) Because we've still got the Spectre in between worlds. We've got the Antimatter Man with a ring of Earth around his waist. Oh, yes, a ring of something. Yeah. Some sort yes. of matter. Yeah, which he hasn't had right. until now. And the combined heroes of Earths 1 and 2 heading in to do battle. Uh, Hawkman, Dutch Fate, and Green Lantern take the top. Wildcat, Flash, Batman take the middle. Sandman, Dutch Fate, or Dr. Midnight, and Black Canary take the bottom. Now this is, um, this particular series of panels, to me, seemed wildly different from what, from the more realistic sort of, like just the, the way that it's all, especially the top panel just how, how morphed the face is mm-hmm. of the antimatter being mm-hmm. and, and, and it's not a criticism I, I found it to be refreshing it was... I did too, although I, I admit I was a little bothered that Spectre was no longer impacted by antimatter man's constant contact um, like it, it, it kind of breaks that for me a little. Mm. Um, I also wish in these moments we saw Green Lantern being more creative, especially given how creative the art suddenly becomes. Like this would have been a great time for him to do more than, you know, a fist or a magic carpet. Yeah, but that's all he ever really did, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> True. I feel Maybe. like he was more creative in the Silver Age. Maybe sometime like a backhoe scoop or something, but <laughs> it was basically variations on a on a fist. Yeah. I'm saying. <laughs> um now this is typical of uh Gardner Fox's Silver Age group writing, correct me if I'm wrong, but when he you know, team, like, take three heroes and they do one thing and another three would do another thing. Mm-hmm. Usually it would be more formalized, like they would head out as little mini teams for a special mission. 
and then all come back together with the big group. Hmm. As opposed to the Justice Society stories, when they would all go out just as individuals and have their little solo chapter and then come together. Hmm. And I do think that the, the Golden Age stories were more effective because of that. Like, I feel like there's just so much more going on when, it, it, when Gardner Fox had to tell so many different stories. Like, you couldn't just have, oh, well, these two people are teaming up. You have to say, well, how did those two people end up there? And then, so you've got like that, that mini story turns into three mini stories, and then you combine it to the large, it just, it gets too big. And I also don't think that he had enough pages to work with. Like, everything right. feels so rushed, right. you know? Like, right. like this, if this were written today, it would be a 12 issue mini series. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Antimatter Man strikes back. He, uh, is able to counteract all of these heroes' powers. Including Black Canary, he makes her wig grow. Her wig. Her hair. It's her real hair, isn't it? No, she wears a blonde wig. She wears a wig? Yes. Oh. But maybe he wasn't aware of that because he didn't do a lot of work on her in the golden <laughs> age, did he? Well, he didn't. And he wasn't actively reading as much comics at that time either because he had really started to... Like he was doing a lot more books at this time too, right. and he was still writing the short stories. So he he started working off of character sheets more than actually keeping up. Sandman, of course, is trapped in his own sand. <laughs> um, but now they start with the magic of teamwork. They start freeing each other. Flash does a spinny arms thing again. Yes. Which uh, turns Batman in Wildcat into some kind of. Whirling dervish. Horrible, whirling, merged amalgamation thing. Um, they all escape and get in their licks against the antimatter man. Dr. Fate is trapped in a cage of his own magic. We're on 14 now, okay. Which Hawkman and Green Lantern just grab the cage and slam it into the <laughs> antimatter man. <laughs> is the purpose to knock it over, knock antimatter man over? I think think so or at least just stop him marching i think they're just trying to slow him down at this point yeah he momentarily loses consciousness and his alien energies fade out releasing the superheroes from his powers and they're able to free themselves luckily black canary carries a pair of hair scissors with her at all times (laughs) (laughs) and is able to cut her hair back to its normal length even though it's a wig (laughs) Um, so they then are able to release the antimatter man from the specter and thrust him out into space Um, Dr. Fate is able to probe his mind and realizes that he's just an explorer from his own antimatter universe he he's on a journey just he was not being antagonistic he just thought everything that was happening was just part of his travel struggles he had to overcome to reach his destination which is such a fox thing like he always yeah. tries to show the ways in which what we see as villains isn't actually what's going on like it's again mm-hmm. that like if we just stopped to talk instead of fight you know? right right um nonetheless let's just keep punching him <laughs> Suck, bam, zowie. Um, we had corresponded a little bit, Jennifer, about the uh, kind of the campy influence of Batman in some of 
Gardner's writing in this time and that you suspected he might not have been thrilled about that? I don't get the feeling that he was. Um, I, I think that it was mostly Whitney Ellsworth that was pushing that. Um, the A lot of people were trying to capture that, that emerging hip youth culture thing going on um, and cash in on that. And so there was directives coming from from higher than Schwartz even on uh, trying to increase that. And absolutely with Batman's popularity at this time, like it was going to crash soon, um, mm. but they definitely were, were trying to pull on that, that camp aesthetic a lot more. Well, good for them. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's not my favorite either. <laughs> um, hey, remember that other subplot with the atom? Yes. Well, now he's back in his laboratory and he um, is using some kind of framostat in his lab to focus in on the space between Earths where he sees the specter. He realizes that the specter's efforts are futile in ultimately keeping the Earths apart. So I'm going to help him. So he jumps into the Lexivision? Well, he jumps into a... Um, what does he call it? Oh, it's her, it's Enriqueta's space warp machine. I guess she's a way of seeing. Or, he, uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, yeah, he turns a dial and he can focus through the helix and into warp space. Okay. Duh. <laughs> so he dives in before, after grabbing a duplicate of his size and weight controls, hoping to land somewhere near the specter. And he does, right on his face. He explains that he wants the specter to shrink to an inch in height, then expand. However, I must warn you that when you expand again, the chances are you'll blow up and might be destroyed. But that's the only way to save both Earths. Of course the specter agrees. He said, yeah, do it. Fine. Number one, he's already dead. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, number two, he's a superhero. He's practically a god. He will always mm -hmm. sacrifice himself for yes. one or more Earths. So he places, uh, Adam places the size of weight controls on the specter and Adam shrinks himself smaller than an air molecule so that he can still breathe, obviously. Okay. Switches on the size of weight controls that are on the specter, the specter shrinks and then grows and then explodes and the Earths are forced apart. And here we've got an actual explanation. These approaching Earths are in warp space or each other's gravitational attraction for each other would destroy them anyhow. So it's it's uh, just right. the, the gravitational pull. All right. I still don't get it, but... <laughs> I, I don't either, but at least he's trying to explain it. Like, <laughs> And uh, the Spectre explains how he actually does not get destroyed or pulls himself together. You know, well, he's a ghost. Yeah. I'm not sure any explanation would have been necessary, but we get one. He controls all the matter of his spirit body. And it was flung to all corners of the universe, but he still maintained control. Just before he exploded to smithereens, <laughs> he imbued his body with spiritual magnetic attraction so that no matter how far apart it flung, it would be drawn back to normal after a while. Spectacular. <laughs> Spectre and Adam speed toward antimatter man who is still battling the assembled heroes of Earth 1 and Earth 2. Uh, and we are in for a wondrous wind-up to the story. Are you ready? 
Yes, yes. The shockwaves from Spectre's exploding body have just now reached the scene of the battle and are flinging Antimatter Man back into his own universe. Not affecting any of our heroes. Well, because no, because the Spectre uh, probably did something to make that... I would say Dr. Fate. Because oh, yeah. all of a sudden we can see the imagery that we were given when Dr. Fate explained. Right, 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 right. I guess Dr. Fate and Spectre had been in contact. I guess it must be... On, the, while they're en route. I guess it must be the angle. Wildcat looks like he stopped for a few meals during the stage. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> maybe he had his legs jammed up into his body like Spectre did earlier. <laughs> Speaking of, both Blockbuster and Solomon Grundy are drawn on the portly side, yeah. which is not. Maybe Solomon Grundy has been before, but Blockbuster's a man of muscle. Wow. And a lot more hair than I, than I remember him. Like, yeah, like a full head of hair, like. Um, so anyway, hey, remember that other story about Solomon Grundy and Oh yeah, we still need to tie that one up, yeah. Let's head back to Earth and see if they've gotten into any trouble. So, remember when Green Lantern said he had plan? Yes. What he did was, he just locked them in a room together and uh, had them start fighting each other. So he pulled them from both Earths, or pulled one to another Earth, or somehow... And they knocked each other out. Yes. The heroes discover when they arrive back on Earth. And not only that, they knocked the, the hate, hate out, out of each other. <laughs> now they're best friends. And, and not only are they friends with, with each, each other, other, they're friends with the Justice League and the Justice Society. Yes. <laughs> um, well, that tracks with Solomon Grundy's later uh, appearances in the 90s when he would his personality would change with each new incarnation. What? Yeah. Um, in Starman comics, mm -hmm. he would, if he was destroyed and then reborn from the swamp, uh -huh. he would have a completely different personality. And oh. Sometimes he was nice and sometimes he was nasty. And sometimes he was nasty. <laughs> <laughs> um, Blockbuster then also later on got a super giant brain. Really? Yes. Interesting. I, I know very little about Blockbuster, honestly. I same, but I just remember it was the someone, the demon came and gave all the supervillains the chance for extra powers, so Blockbuster got a super brain. Hmm. So, with a reformed, friendly Solomon Grundy, the Justice Society members return homeward with all the other displaced people of Earth 2. I wonder if there was an intention that Solomon Grundy would remain friendly. What I'm wondering, anyways, like Peace Man, you know? <laughs> right, right, because right, this is to decide what to do with Solomon Grundy, friend of the people. Hmm. Yeah. While Blockbuster and the Justice League members, along with the displaced Earth people of Earth One, return home. They said the Alfred Foundation will still study Blockbuster, though I don't believe he'll give us any more trouble. I mean, are they going to, you know, hook him back up to that him? machine? Is he going to cooperate now? I don't know. That's certainly the implication. Is he going to get a job? <laughs> Groundskeeper at the foundation? Now, here's my favorite part of the whole story. What about Enriqueta Negrini? Do you think we should ask her to give up her space warp experiments, which threatened multiple <laughs> Earths? Right, the very cause of the entire two-issue series. No, 
No, risk is a necessary and calculated risk of all scientific research. Let her go on with their work. She just didn't know any better, you know? <laughs> right. Um, well, but you know what? I, no, that doesn't make sense. Oppenheimer knew what he was doing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but she... I she should not be allowed to continue. Maybe she could do more theoretical research rather than actually drawing planets together. Or at least, like, have some kind of a plan to deal with it other than the fact that, you know, well, we still exist as superheroes, so we're good. Right, right, uh, right. Like, or at least make her aware of what was going on. That could even help her with her research, you know? Right, if you think about the turning point in this entire story was that she decided to take a break and get a sandwich and leave the room. Right. <laughs> no, no, the turning point was actually, well, I mean, that's the turning point, but like, it, it's not like she, like, it was her actions that drew the, the antimatter man just because he was like, oh, that's an interesting something. Like, so it, that could happen at any point, right? right. Like, for anything. Right. Well, maybe let's pass this through a peer reviewed journal <laughs> before we switch the machine back on. I like that. That's a good way of bridging it. Jennifer DeRoss, thank you for your time. I was happy to join you, genuinely. Will you come back? I would enjoy that. Yay! Because <laughs> there's plenty more Gardner Fox in the 60s. Thank you for indulging us. Where can people find you if they so desire? The easiest place to find me is just on Twitter. I'm at Jennifer DeRoss. Excellent. You can find us on Twitter at GoGoCheckPod. Uh, you can find Dr. Husband on his own podcast, Liberally Speaking. I think he wants to talk to you about that, too. I would like that a lot, too. Yeah. And you can find us back here with or without Gardner Fox next week. Indeed, right? Indeed. Yeah. What are we going to do next week? Do you know yet? I don't know. Okay. Um, but I'll tell you before we get there. Okay. Thank you, Jennifer, so much. Thank you for having me. Anytime. Absolutely. Thank you. And do you know how we end our show? We'll teach you. It goes like this. Bye! Bye. <laughs>